0: Uh, it's one of those subjects today which actually I found quite difficult to prepare for, not just because my throbbing ear, but because it was uh, quite difficult. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at some of the things that the Bible encourages us, encourages, encourages us about family. And particularly today, I want to focus on wider family, because it's relatively easy for us to to encourage and love our immediate family, isn't it? Well, I thought it was. (laughs) Uh, It's quite encouraging to speak to them and to love them, and you can love your closer family through all sorts of situations, but I want to push that a bit wider, because I think God wants us to be influential in our wider family, whether they're Christians or not, and especially if they're not. We need to be influential in presenting what it's like to be a Christian in a family, biblically. So that's what I want to do this morning. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult subject, family, Because when you're my sort of age, your thoughts immediately go to the old non-PC family jokes. You know, mothers-in-law and things like that. And how you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And I want to completely explode that myth. God chose your family. God chose where you are, and who you are. And we're going to start by looking at Psalm 139, an unusual place to talk about family, you might think, but I think this is right at the heart of what I want to say this morning. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, And the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Lord, help us today as we look at this subject. Bless us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've got loads of points. How many, I don't tell you, because you will immediately head for the teapot. But we will run through them, beginning with this, that... In the Bible, we don't have the sort of societies that we have today in the Western world where when you talk about family, you're essentially talking about the nuclear family, you know, mum, dad, and two and a half kids, or whatever it is. In the Bible, it's called a household. And a household was a much wider thing than just your immediate kinship because it would include all sorts of relatives like mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers and there will be cousins and cousins mums and dads and there'll be all sorts of people in this household living together as a family unit it was a household it in in most cases Um, it would include people who were servants, people who were slaves within the household. They took their name of the family of the household. They considered themselves part of that family. Even when they were slaves and servants, they, they associated themselves with this family, this household. So it was much broader a concept than we're used to. Although in other countries in the world, even today, that is how people live. When Hannah and Biarma got married, we were a little bit worried about how many people would actually turn up. Because in Nigeria, you know, it could be loads of people. If you were part of Byama's village, you'd consider yourself part of his household when he got married. You would go to his wedding, invited or not. Just turn up. That was the sort of thing that we expected to happen. Some people actually did, but we managed to accommodate them. But it could have been hundreds, you know? And in Nigeria, if, if we'd done the wedding in Nigeria, it probably would have been. So they still lived like that. They still behave like that. Biyama would say, oh, my cousin's coming to visit me. What, another cousin? Oh, well, he's not strictly a cousin. He's just someone I knew as part of the village, part of my family. And Biyama's dad, actually, as head of the household, found himself to be responsible for the education of quite a lot of children. Most of whom, not his. So, You see, these sorts of concepts are in the Bible. And it's something we need to bear in mind as we look at this subject of family, that the household in the Bible was a very different concept. You see, what Western society has done in recent centuries is to individualise us and to drag us out of that supportive network that was the household to drag us out and to make us individually responsible and interrelating with other people who would carry, help you carry your burdens. Well, now that's weakness. For the biblical household, that was strength. Do you see what I'm saying? You're all looking a bit bored already, and I don't want to bore you. Well, not too much, anyway. So, this is the Old Testament household, but it runs into the New Testament as well. And what is interesting, something used to puzzle me quite a lot, is that it says sometimes that he and his household were all saved. And it gave you the feeling that, well, I I used to think, well, they can't be properly saved then, can they? They haven't each individually made their commitment. You know, if I was a super keen evangelist, I'd be wanting to make sure that they've made their commitment as individuals. And so I couldn't get my head around the fact that a group of people, together as a household, could all assent to the same belief, and to give themselves wholly to the Lord. I'd want to check it out. Surely, you know, the servant girl. Surely, you know, the, the girl who cleans out the grate in the morning. Surely she makes her own decision, doesn't she? Do you see where I've got to? Well, yes, she would make her own decision, but she'd be very much influenced by her household. if they went to hear Paul preach, she would go too. And so we see, uh, the famous one, of course, is Cornelius in Acts 11, where it says, um, talking about Paul, he will declare to you a message. This is, this, is, this is the angel, this is God talking to Cornelius before he's saved. he will will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So God's intent was to save the whole household. Lydia, Acts 16. She was baptised and her household as well. So here's a lady who's head of the household for some reason or other, and she and her household were baptized. Crispus, Acts 18, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. You know, in, in this case, Luke is getting quite excited. The entire household! Maybe Crispus, who's ruler of the synagogue, had a big household. Maybe he was, you know, in terms of wider family, covering a lot of people's lives under his umbrella, under his safety, under his protection and love. His entire household. But in 1 Peter, we do get the hints of what it's like if that doesn't happen especially if you were a servant in the household, and you got saved, but the rest of the household didn't. So in 1 Peter 2, it says this, For this is a gracious thing, then, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. 1 Peter 3, Even if some husbands do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, By the conduct of their wives. And so, what we see here is the desire of God to see whole households, whole wider families saved. Have you got people in your family not yet saved? God's desire. Households. So, secondly, how bad is your family? How bad is your family? You know, this is an area where I. (laughs) Give me some wriggle room, all right? On this one. How bad is your family? How bad do you consider your family? Because in the Bible, there are some bad families. And there's some bad heads of household. And some bad things go on. Especially in the Old Testament stories. You read about a lot of bad stuff. And I think it's so encouraging to read about bad stuff. I know the year's bad, but I really haven't gone bonkers, Okay. You are aware of things in the Bible that are bad. Have you noticed how encouraging that is? Because God is still in charge of the situation. God is not thrown by bad family behavior, God is always in control. He works with bad families. You want some examples? Ooh. Well, you remember Abram. Abraham, that great, great man of God. Whoa, terrific man of God. Whoa, Abraham. Let's all bow down to Abraham. What a man of God he was. Oh, terrific, tremendous. Except he gave his wife to a king, so that he could have sex with her. Whoa, bad. Then, oh, this great man of God, Abraham, what does he do then? He listens to his wife, his wife says, have sex with my servant girl so we can have a child. And he does. And of course it all goes wrong. And a few years later, he is throwing out of his household, penniless, destitute, onto the street, this woman and her child. And we're still suffering the consequences in the Middle East today of that decision. Oh, bad. But it's Abraham. And God said, Shall I not tell my friend Abraham what I'm doing? Not just the wrong song, I'm on the wrong sermon now. Isn't that encouraging? God had his purposes for Abraham that were not derailed, not diverted by his badness, by the sin that was in his family. His own sin, his wife's sin, there was stuff in his family that was not good. But God was still loving him, still gracious to him, still drawing him forward into his purposes. Okay? What about Moses? You know, Moses had a tough time leading the people of Israel through the wilderness. They were a rotten lot, really, to lead. It was tough going. And tough as it was, in addition to all that stuff, you know, all that, Relating to God and defending people who've been bad before God and saying, oh, God, don't do what you intend to do. Please, you know, I'll I'll take the punishment. What a great guy, eh? Then on top of that, he has his brother and his sister rebelling against him. As if life wasn't tough enough... People of his family are getting uppity. People in his family are saying, what are you doing, Moses? People in his family. Bad. Okay. Who's the greatest Old Testament figure? A precursor of Jesus. Named after me. So, David... Oh boy. David, according to Scripture, is a man after God's own heart. What higher accolade can you have than that? How much higher can you go than that? A man after God's own heart. That was David. But he was bad (laughs) as well. He had loads of wives, loads, loads of wives, loads of concubines. You know, put bluntly, when he was thinking who he might sleep with tonight, it was a question of, oh, have a good look around. And then one day, despite all that choice, he sees Bathsheba, and he's completely and utterly blown away. So much so that he murders to get her. This is a man after God's own heart, God says. But he murders to get hold of this woman. Wow. What about his wider family? Well, his sons rebelled against him. His sons rebelled against him and one of his sons raped his sister and another son killed him because he raped his sister. Oh, isn't this enjoyable? Are you liking this? This is bad. And yet God loved David. God dealt graciously with David. David. God's purposes for David were fulfilled. David wanted to build the temple, and God said, "No, Solomon will build your temple because you're a man- of war." But David, it says in, in the New Testament, David served the purposes of God in his generation. Solomon was the next generation. He served the purposes of God. So he was bad but following God. He made mistakes, horrendous mistakes. You got someone in your family who murdered someone? I don't know. But God will not be diverted from loving people. God will not be diverted from showing grace and mercy to people. God will not be diverted from his purposes to bring them into a better place. God will not be diverted, so let us not be diverted either. However bad your wider family thinks you are or you think they are, let us be imitators of God. Don't give up on your family. Have a godly attitude to them. Like God did to David, oh, tremendously awful things David did, and yet at the same time, God is, God is giving him mercy, yes. God is giving him discipline, yes. But God is loving him through to the end. See, this is so encouraging. Because what it says is, you have no excuse Isn't that encouraging? You have no excuse not to love and show grace to all the people in your family and your household. How bad's your family? Thirdly, God knows your family. God knows you. We read this psalm God knows you. You know, sometimes when I was younger, I'd, I'd often think about, what would it be like if I could be time-transported? Yeah? Time-transported back a couple of centuries or three or four centuries. What would it be like? i try to imagine turning up, knowing all that I know in the 21st century, well, 20th century then, knowing all that I know, turning up, you know, suddenly, Pah-tong! you know, TARDIS-like, bonk, you know, in the time of King Henry VIII or something. Could I stand the smell of people? Which to them was just normal. Could I be patient enough to take two or three days to get to the Lake District? What was it like to be a British person in the Raj? So far from home, so exposed, so vulnerable. All sorts of things went through my head like that. But you know what? God decided that I, would be knitted in my mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made in 1948. That's what God decided. And God decided who my mother would be. And God decided therefore, what my wider family would be, what my household would be, who my uncle and aunt would be, who my cousins would be. All decided by this moment when I was made in my mother's womb. Do you see where I'm getting at? You are not a mistake. Your family is not a mistake. God intended you to be who you are and where you are. God made you on your mother's womb. God does not look at you and think, oh, whoops, I meant 1748. God doesn't look at you and say, oh, whoops, I meant that your uncle should be someone else. God doesn't look at you and think, He made any mistake about you. Hallelujah. You and your family. You and your household. You're not a mistake. Ephesians 3.15 says, this is another verse I used to wonder about, what does that actually mean? From whom the Father, every family in heaven and earth, is named. Talking about the Father. From whom every family, in heaven and earth, is named. What? Let's repeat that. Every family. Yeah? Every family. (laughs) Father God... Overseas oversees and sets up all the families of the world. Oh, please. No wonder the psalmist says, this is too high for me, this knowledge. How can I attain this knowledge? Even in his day, he thought it was awesome. Imagine him, TARDIS-like, turning up in the 21st century to see all you lot as well. You know, poor old psalmist, he had no idea about the size of the world. He had no idea about the numbers of people. He would come back to us today and be utterly amazed at how claustrophobically crushed together we all are. Because there's so many of us, all in families. God designed. If you don't think that's right, you've got an issue with Psalm 139. You and your family, God oversees and names. You know, naming was such an important thing. Such an important thing. Not just your Christian name, but your surname meant something. And still does in cultures, many cultures in Africa, it still does. Your surname means something. God's named every family. How are we doing? Are you all right? Getting bored yet? Tea? No? Uh, Okay. So, lastly, I want to say this. Therefore, in the light of everything that's gone before, today... Is your opportunity today? Is your opportunity the church? Is God's family? It's God's household. The church is the household of God. And how does Father God look at the church? How does He treat the church? How does he treat you? You've received grace, haven't you? Mercy. <coughs> Sins have been forgiven. We were praying that in the prayer meeting just before this meeting started. Sins have been forgiven. Hallelujah. Most of you don't look very excited about that. Mercy. Forgiveness. Faithfulness. Plans for good, not for evil. That's Father God towards us, the church of Jesus Christ. We're all members of his family. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So we need to treat our families like God treats the church. Because we're going to imitate him. And you may be uncomfortable with some parts of your family. You may be, maybe you hold some resentments. Maybe you hold some unforgiveness about things that have happened in your family. Maybe your family is all joy. Well, praise God. But maybe there's things that you haven't imitated God over your family. You know, there's so many things in the New Testament, there wasn't time for me to even begin to go through them with you. All the one another's. Now, I've told you this before, haven't I? So you should remember this. All the one another's. In Russian, it's this wonderful little phrase, one another's. drug drugal. I think it's because it reminds me of um, the magic roundabout. And doogle. Remember Dougal, the shaggy dog? Wasn't he lovely? Dougal. This is Drugor. So Drug, Drugor means one another. All the Drug, Drugals there are in Scripture. All the Drug, Drugals, how you're to treat one another. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man. I want that well, well, well heard here. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him, as you would a father. I want that put out there as well. Encourage him as a father. I don't know how old older is. Maybe we could set it at 40. <laughs> Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. This is how you are to behave, Timothy. This is how you are to relate within the household of God and therefore for us within our own households as well, because we're imitating God. Indeed, when he'd come to eldership, it says in 1 Timothy, he must manage his own household well with all dignity. Dignity. Head of households, have dignity. Remember Mary? when she was visited by the angels and she held all these things in her heart it says it several times she held these things about jesus in her heart can you imagine the emotional roller coaster of the cross for her as she remembered these things that had been spoken can you imagine what it was like for her to be faced with the resurrection? All these things she held in her heart. Can you imagine what it's like for her then? Having been transferred family wise from the headship of Jesus. And yet now she comes to Pentecost and she's in the upper room. And the spirit of her son falls on her. What a family to belong to. But we too, we too belong to that wider family. Ephesians 6 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. <laughs> and when I haven't got time to talk about parenting, but here is Paul's expressing what God would have. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And there's something I just did want to say about this that is truly wonderful in a a family. If we can reach this, it's truly wonderful when our children, who are obedient to us when they're young, Honour us and respect us when they're older, when they're adults themselves. It's a truly wonderful transition, this. You know, Hannah and Biama are going to live in the Ivory Coast, and that will be in August, and they're leaving us with their children. and I want, you, I want you to know that they've discussed that with me, and I would never ask them to be obedient to me, as I would have done when it was a question of which coat to wear when you're going to school. The relationship has changed but the family remains the family you know like amoeba changes shape but the relationships remain, the relationships change in terms of life And then in July, Rachel's going to Southampton. Oh, I could say, stop, do not do this. But it would be wrong. What a glorious thing a family can be. And we should all be looking to attain it because God is with us. You and your family are not a mistake. Whatever your history, up to now, let us strive to be imitators of God in how we deal with everyone in our wider family. And so I'm going to ask that, as the band plays, you respond to what I've said. This This is a surprise to Robin, but there you go. I want us to come forward as a sign of repentance and desire to change. If you've held resentments and bitterness against anyone in your family your wider family, your close family even and you want to say to the Lord please, Lord I want to imitate you I want to be gracious and forgiving loving and kind then you come forward If you're still seeking God's plans for your family, or you're still praying for people in your family, maybe you need to come forward too. What about accepting where he's placed you? Do you think you're in the wrong place at the wrong time? Do you wish you'd be someone else? Do you look with envy on others? Repent. This is your family. God made you in the womb. This is who you are. And he wants to bring you into a fresh place of joy and acceptance. So, as we sing, let's come forward and say, yes, Lord, I want to be a true neighbour in my family. Amen.